you know where this name first is introduced to us in scripture? It's in Isaiah. And you may be surprised at the story surrounding the introduction of Emmanuel as a promise to humanity in the Old Testament. Well, today we begin our Christmas series. This is the first Sunday of Advent. What is Advent? We're going to talk about that in a moment. Why does the church do this? Why do we kind of prepare as we move into the Christmas season? We're going to be talking about that. This series that we're in is called, He Shall Be Called, dot, dot, dot. He shall be called. So, fun fact about me, I am horrible at names. Horrible at names. I can't, I, I man, names... Are you anybody else like me? You meet someone, you you do the whole, hey, I'm Lucas, and they go, I'm so and so. And by the time you ask the follow-up question, like where are you from? What do you do? It just it's just gone. And then you're like, oh no. And then you see that person again, but you don't ask, right? Because you're kind of embarrassed. And then like three weeks go by, a month goes by, two months goes by, and then it's like, you just can't now, right? There's just too much water under the bridge, so then you're like trying to figure out ways of strategically, you know, you do the whole like, hey Russ, come meet. Hey, this is Russ, and then you hope that they say their own name back, right? You do all these tricks and things to try to get it down. I hope I'm not the only one. I'm a horrible human being. I'm so sorry. If I have forgotten your name along the way, I apologize. It's just inevitable. I'm working on it, but man, it's so tough. But why is it such a big deal when it comes to names? There's something important about names, particularly when we look in the scriptures, when we look in the Bible. Names, there, there's a, such a sense of intimacy when you call someone by their name. When, you, when they feel like you know them, that, that you're known. And there's just something powerful about that. This year, we introduced a song called 1,000 Names. Who's enjoyed this song this year so far? I love that song. I love the bridge of that song where we just go through the names of God. Now, you think remembering one name is hard? 1,000 names, that's, that's tricky. That's so tricky. But names can have such a powerful kind of feel, especially throughout the Bible. Names in the Bible came with profound meaning. They often served as describing character. They kind of describe the character of a person. If you read the Old Testament, oftentimes you'll see the name and you'll look at what the name means and it'll perfectly reflect their life. Have you noticed this? There's just something so powerful about names. And the same is true as it pertains to God. Now, the difference is God's unfathomable. He's incomprehensible. So how do we attribute names to God? Well, we have to use like a thousand of them, right? To describe different aspects of his character and who he is. And in this series, we're going to explore some of those names and some of those titles that come out of the Christmas story, because there's quite a few of them. There's quite a few of them. So today, you might be a little bit surprised at the origin story to the name that we're kind of digging in today. 
The name is Emmanuel. Who's heard Emmanuel before? Are we, are we all tracking? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. It speaks to the incarnation. God being made flesh and coming into this world. Emmanuel. God with us. Do you know the origin story to this name? Do you know where this name first is introduced to us in Scripture? It's in Isaiah. And you may be surprised at the story surrounding the introduction of Emmanuel as a promise to humanity in the Old Testament. But before we do that, let's, let's kind of jump into the New Testament. This is where we're reintroduced. This is not an original moment. We're reintroduced to this name, Emmanuel. And this is when Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus, he's at a crossroads. He has just learned that Mary, his fiancée, is pregnant. And he knows that he's not the father. And he's struggling a little bit, like we would in that circumstance. And this is where we pick up a moment where an angel comes and puts his mind at ease. This is found in Matthew 1, 20-23. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we see here Matthew, he reports an event, and in the verse 22, he switches from reporting to commentating on it. He's closing a loop, a very important loop, from the Old Testament into the New Testament. He's bringing it full circle in this moment, and he's introducing us and reintroducing us to the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. Now, for those of you maybe exploring faith with us today, and maybe you're new to faith, there's something super significant about this. If you didn't know this, the Bible is written by 40-plus authors over the course of a couple thousand years. So what's so interesting about the Scriptures is it's a library, it's a collection of books. And this is verifiable historically. What's significant is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus who existed in the first century, was born into this world. He fulfilled in his lifetime, conservatively, around 300 plus prophecies from the Old Testament. And in his life and in his ministry, some of them he had control over, some of them he didn't, like where he was born, what he would be named, all of these components he had no control over and they were fulfilled in Christ. Now the odds of that happening are just unbelievably mind-blowing. And so this is such a significant moment as we consider this prophecy from the prophet Isaiah 
coming to fruition through Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, like I said, you may be surprised at the origin story of his name. So we're going to dig into that origin story a little bit. It's a bit of a depressing story, to be honest. It's not a fun one. It comes out of a place of darkness, out of a place of pride, out of a place of... Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. It gets pretty dark, guys. Just warning you. Buckle up. It gets pretty dark. All right, let's jump into the Old Testament, though. Let's start with the book of Isaiah, where we first see this promise brought to the people of Israel, and by extension, us grafted in through Jesus. So let me set the stage. Ahaz is the king of Judah. The scriptures say he's an evil king in the eyes of God. He's rebellious, he's evil, he's doing it his own way, and he has very little time for Yahweh and for God. Now, in this moment, there are two enemies that have risen up against him. One of the enemies is actually Israel. So remember, this is the tribe of Judah now. Israel's risen up against him, influenced by some of kind of what's going on in the nations around the world. And there's another tribe that has risen up against Judah. And they have invaded Judah. They've invaded the lands of Judah. Now, they siege Jerusalem. And Ahaz and his army, they're able to hold them and fend them off. But in the process, they lose about 120,000 soldiers. Okay, I want you to think about those numbers. Those are, those are crazy numbers. 120,000. Now, in the midst of this siege, these two tribes take prisoners, and they take roughly 200,000 women and children out of the land of Judah, and they're starting to bring them back to their own lands. I want you to just think of those numbers. 200,000. And on the way back, God intervenes through another prophet, and this prophet tells them and warns them, hey, you better, you want to be against God on this? And they decide to release all of those hostages. They release them back into Judah. And here's where we jump into this moment as Isaiah motivated and sent by God, comes to this king, Ahaz. It's found in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 14. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Chapter 7, verses 10 to 14. And Isaiah says this, Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz. This is through the prophet. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. So he cites Old Testament scripture here. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah has just told the king that God has told him that he can ask for a sign. Anything in heaven and earth. And here's the moment. You may read this and go, well, he's just trying to respect Old Testament law. Do not test the Lord. But the Lord has commanded him to walk in this, to do this. 
And so he's not doing this out of piety. He's not doing it out of this reverence or respect. He's doing this because he doesn't want to submit his kingdom to the ways of God. This is the motivation behind Ahaz's response to the prophet. And in the midst of this, we see that God is still so gracious. Not necessarily to Ahaz, but to the people of Judah. And he promises Emmanuel, God with us. Now, let me give you a little bit of history on this king, because we need to understand just how evil this guy is. So, 2 Chronicles, sorry, we're going to be jumping around, guys. 2 Chronicles, chapter 28, 1 to 4. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and also made idols for worshiping the Baals. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire. You read that right. He sacrificed his children in the fire engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places, on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. This is not a good guy. This is not like David, a man after God's heart. This is a man in rebellion. This is a man seeking to build his kingdom in his own way and doing everything he can to rebel against God. And so he rejects God's hand for help. And instead, Scripture tells us, he turns to another king. He turns to the king of Assyria in this moment. And what's wild about this moment is he takes, he takes gold and valuables out of the temple of God that were set aside, that were put there, sacred, to worship God, to adorn the temple. He takes that gold out and he piles it up and he brings it to the king of Assyria. And he lays it before his feet. And there they create a truce together. And so the king of Assyria comes and drives out these two other tribes from Judah. And now we see Ahaz, not necessarily as a king independent, we see Ahaz kind of as now a puppet king to the king of Assyria. And this is so significant because oftentimes in this life, when we know Scripture gives us promises, when we know that God is for us, when we know that He will be faithful despite the circumstances, how many times do we step away from his presence, from his way, from his promises, and we look for the alternatives in this world? And it's okay to step into some things, but not as our first go. Not as our first go. There's some, there's some consequences to this moment. 
Because in verse 17 of the same, in 2 Chronicles, it says, The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. You see, later the king of Assyria would come and take over the entirety of Israel and Judah. It would be one of the greatest moments of oppression the Israelites had ever faced. This came with such consequences. Now, we may be tempted to read this story and kind of remove ourselves from the narrative, to kind of position ourselves as a lot more self-righteous, right? We look at a king like this and we go, well, compared to that guy, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty great. But the reality is these stories of the Old Testament, they capture something of the human heart. And we all carry the human heart, don't we? It's been redeemed in Christ Jesus, yes. But there are moments where that flesh wants to come. And we can, can, see, we can see the capacity for evil in the human heart. And this is a story of rebellion, of brokenness, of dependence on self over dependence on God. It's a story of evil and sacrilege. But when you think of the Christmas story, what comes to mind? When you think of the Christmas season, what comes to mind? There are times when my family will jump in the car and we'll drive to Starbucks and we'll pick up coffees and then we'll start driving around the town. Why? To look at the lights. To look at the people celebrating this season. You think of the baking that you're going to enjoy this Christmas season. You think of the, the gifts under the tree. You think of all these kind of things and we've kind of sanitized Christmas. And sometimes when we come to Christmas, we lose the sense of contrast. Emmanuel promised to us in the most evil, despicable, dark places. And yet in the midst of this, we see the light shine through. Emmanuel foretold in spite of the darkness of the human heart. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The prophet says, Turn to me, ask for a sign, anything in the heavens or the depths. You will know that I am with you. And Ahaz declines. And he rejects the offer. And yet God is still so gracious. He gives this sign regardless, the promise of Emmanuel. Now, why does this matter? Well, like I said, Ahaz in many ways is a representation of us as a humanity. Just like us, he got caught up with the popular practices of his day. He caught up in the peer pressure of the kings and kingdoms around him. He wanted to be just like them. He wanted desperately to garner respect from the kings. So much so that he sacrificed his children in the fires of an altar to a pagan god. 
That's wild. After the Assyrian king defeats Judah and his enemies, Ahaz goes to Damascus to see the king of Assyria. And he walks into Damascus. What's crazy is he walks into Damascus and the first thing that he sees is this pagan altar to Baal. And he falls in love with it. He's just got to have it. So he gets the blueprints, he describes it, and he sends it back to Uriah, his high priest at the time, and he says, by the time I get back to Jerusalem, I want this altar built into the temple. And so Uriah, the high priest, builds this altar to Baal in the temple in Jerusalem. And he removes the bronze altar to God and he puts it on the north side of the temple. And Ahaz gets back and he says, I want to worship on this thing. I want all of my sacrifices, the blood sacrifice. I want all of the the grain sacrifices, all of them on this altar to Baal. But what's so crazy, he says, but keep the bronze one I want to go to it for guidance. This is wild. This is a wild story. This guy. Keep the bronze one to Yahweh, to God. I want to go to it for guidance, but I'm going to sacrifice everything else to this false pagan God in the temple in Jerusalem. Here we see Ahaz trying to have his cake and eat it too. I will turn to the altar of God for guidance, but I will sacrifice all that is of the Lord's upon the altar to a false god. Such a wildly arrogant king. But remember, I said that these people are human. They represent the human heart. We would be foolish if we didn't recognize there's something of Ahaz in us. This may be the hardest part of the Christian faith. It's so often I see people come to Christ and they're steeped in their own traditions, in their own ways. Maybe they come out of other religious practice. Maybe they come out of uh, a culture steeped in deep kind of cultural positions that are influenced by religious practice. And they come to Jesus. And we all do this. We're all tempted to do this. We come to Jesus. And we've talked about this before. We're tempted to just overlay Jesus as an add-on. Let's bring Jesus into the temple, but let's, let's keep him on the north side so I can still sacrifice my time and my resources, and my talents, and my priorities, and my calendar, to my own gods, and idols, and pursuits, and kingdom. But man, when things get tough, I'm going to go, I'm going to step into the corner of my heart and have moments for guidance. When things get tough, I'm going to get real desperate and come to Jesus. 
Yet the kingdom demands that we remove the false idols and the false priorities and the things that we're pursuing and we submit them to Jesus, the King, ruler, and Lord of our lives. There's something of Ahaz in us. And if we don't recognize that, we're going to go astray. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Lucas, it's Christmas time. Ease up a little, man. Just, just take it easy. Let's add some levity. Let's have a little more fun. But what we need to understand this Christmas is the contrast of Emmanuel to the darkness of the human heart. That's what makes it grace, friends. That's what makes it grace with a capital G. When you consider your life, your self-centeredness, your proclivity to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, That's the context of Emmanuel. That's the context of forgiveness. That's the context of grace. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And this is why we have the tradition in the church called Advent. This is why we do Advent. What is Advent? It's defined as the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. The arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Advent is preparation. It's preparation. Um, (laughs) Forgive me, I don't want to make this political, okay? This isn't political. This is not a political commentary, but I want to illustrate this. Last month, we saw, if you watch the news at all, you saw San Francisco... Get a makeover. Who who followed that story a little bit? San Francisco got an an unbelievable makeover. And it's been a bit of a dump lately. Why? In like a week. That city was like a different city. Why? Because they had the APEC summit there. They're going to have rulers and business people and important people showing up in that city. Guess what that motivated? A major cleanup of the streets of San Francisco. This illustrates perfectly the Christmas season and what Advent's all about. There are moments and seasons where we have to just stop and take inventory of the mess that is the human heart. Because our society will tell you that it's like so good just follow your heart guys just follow your heart whatever your heart desires just chase after that that's the gospel of our society today what does the gospel say it says that our heart is evil and wicked and deceptive the gospel says Don't follow your heart. Follow the king. 
Allow the light of Emmanuel to penetrate your heart, to reveal what it looks like to come into alignment with living out this Christian way. Now keep in mind that this is an everyday practice. This isn't just a Christmas thing. This is an everyday thing. The promise of Emmanuel came to us despite the blackness of the human heart. And as we consider the names of Jesus this Christmas season, I can't think of a name that better captures the concept of grace than this. A name that's introduced to us in darkness, in sacrilege, in rebellion, in just pure and simple enmity against God. And this is where we're introduced to Emmanuel. God with us. So this Christmas season, as we take a journey through the names of God, let's prepare our hearts. And we have to ask these questions on a regular basis. Where in life do we decline the interventions of God? Are there moments when we displace Jesus from his rightful place, looking to please people or a worldview that is so vastly different than the one he gives us? In acknowledging Emmanuel, we must acknowledge the darkness in which he was promised and the darkest into which he came. To do this is to understand his grace and his love in deeper measure this Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord, we do anticipate the lights and the tinsel and, and the fun and the gatherings and the family and the present, all of it. We anticipate it. But Lord, we also recognize the darkness. We recognize the darkness around us. Those who so desperately need to know Emmanuel, God with us. We recognize the darkness at times within us that displaces you from the throne of our lives, that seeks to build our own kingdom in our own way. Forgive us. Prepare us for Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, we thank you for the sign that Yahweh gave to the world, the incarnation of Jesus. It changed everything. So in these closing moments, Holy Spirit, search us, know us. Would you reveal any wicked way in us? We don't want to sanitize Christmas. We want a Christmas season that changes us. To be reflections of the light of the world. In Jesus' name.